What is Title IX? Well, it's short for Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972, a major piece of civil rights legislation that was passed 50 years ago this month. And its most monumental part, the part that cleared the way for equity for women and girl athletes at federally funded schools, are these 37 words. 37 words that changed the game forever. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Courtney Cronin, Mike Wells, sitting in for Canty and Carlin here on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. The voice you heard there at the top of the rejoin, L. Duncan, Sports Center host, First Take, Her Take podcast host as well, joining us here to talk a little bit more about the impact of Title IX uh, 50 years to the day of its anniversary when the legislation was passed in June of 1972. L, thanks so much for the time. You know, we think about Title IX and what it was initially. It was, you know, a bill that was aimed to help women get into grad schools and expand educational opportunities. And then 50 years later, we can look back and see that it shaped women's role in sports, whether it's actually playing sports or in the arena that both you and I are in here uh, as sports journalists. And and I wanted to hear just from your personal journey on, on how Title IX has impacted you the most. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mike and Courtney, for having me and also for talking about this. Um, I know that, you know, at cost of losing some viewers um, who feel like talking about women's issues, quote unquote, is not one of their issues. Um, I commend the people that are still listening, you know, because this is a fight for men, too. It's about everybody. Um, but I think for me, uh, like Title IX, I, we had a great conversation on Twitter spaces today with Sarah Spain, um, LaChina Robinson, Laura Gentilly, and Holly Rowe. And I'll just echo some of the things that they said because it really was like just a remarkable conversation. Um, but we talked a lot about sort of the difference in making sure that young women are empowered and informed about what Title IX means. Wilt not wanting to make them feel like they have to turn to legislation to get fair and equal opportunities. Like we want them to feel like that both of those things can happen. And I grew up as a softball player and I did feel those things. You know, I, we had like Alicia Fernandez bat and I knew that I could do that. I was like, I want my name to be on a bat one day. You know, I had all these amazing women to look up to the 90s, you know, six Olympic team, um, the gymnast team, these incredible track runners. Like I, I always felt that I had, visually um, some path, right? If I wanted, should I have ever been, you know, able to be an elite athlete? Spoiler alert, I never had the chops to be. Um, But I do think that there is this sort of um, misunderstanding of what Title IX is truly about. Like Title IX has absolutely impacted sports in a significant way. Um, Since 1971, by the way, there was fewer than 30,000 women that were playing sports at the college level before Title IX, uh, was passed, and once it was, now we make up 44% of all of the student athletes. Um, but I would say that the idea that it's about four specifically um, is just not true, right? It's 37 words that were just there to protect women from discrimination. That includes sexual harassment. Um, Title IX applies to your experience on your school campuses, applies to your experiences on your work campuses. Uh, the legislation is there to work for you. And I think the beautiful part, Courtney, about really doing um, a lot of examining, retrospecting, commemorating of this anniversary 
is talking to young women now who are 15, 16, 17 years old and understanding the benefits of Title IX and feeling empowered and emboldened to get and create change. That against the backdrop of also saying, oh, God, 50 years later, these 16-year-olds still have to force people to do the right thing through legislation instead of just doing the right thing because it's about equality. And, uh, and that can be frustrating, you know. So I think for me, Title IX means many things. Uh, a journey that has been, um, you know, empowered and moved forward by some incredible women, um, but also one that has so far to go in many regards. You, know, you you made a great point as uh, obviously talking to uh, you know teenagers that you know the next generation of uh, people who will hopefully be star athletes or whatever whatever career path they decide to take. As you talk to these uh, these these young these young student athletes or students, um, is it has it been like an eye opening experience not only for them but also for you as you guys communicate back and forth? Yeah, I mean, I just think that in general, like the beautiful part of what women do among so many things well is communicate. And so sharing of ideas, understanding. We had an opportunity to do a panel recently with the Grant softball team who live in Portland, Oregon. And they were promised amongst this like big hundred something million dollar renovation of their high school. They were promised that along with the baseball team who was going to be getting a brand new baseball stadium, they'd be getting a brand new softball field because at the time they had been playing in community parks. And they would literally have to pick up dog poo before their game. People could walk through their game because it was a public field. There were no fences. It was just a mess and a nightmare. So they were promised a field. And then, of course, as we all know, and as things tend to do, it unraveled. And all of a sudden, the field was not going to happen. And they teamed up with their coach who had just had enough and seen enough. And they used Title IX to force and sue the school system and have them uh, secure a softball field that has just been completed and will will open – for play this season. And I think like what I learned from those girls is that there is this generation of women who are just not good. They're not going to sit by and say like, well, I'm just happy to be here. And that's what the the base of the conversation today on Twitter spaces was about, you know, with China and Sarah and Holly, just imploring women not to just be happy to be here anymore. Maybe that was okay when we were just seeking participation back in 1971, but we've got that now. I just said it. We make up almost half of the, the athletes, we need to make sure we are demanding equality and equity and that we are using and implementing legislation that was created for these purposes to our advantage when needed. It's a tool. And, um, and, and to stand up and say that things are wrong. And it's been really cool to just see these young girls, you know, know that and own that space and be brave and courageous and create, you know, ripple effects for the women behind them. That's been the most empowering part. Elle Duncan, host of SportsCenter and First Take, Her Take podcast, joins Courtney Cronin and Mike Wells on Canty and Carlin. And, and you had mentioned this. There's a lot of progress that came with Title IX. We are, you know, I'd like to think many uh, different directions uh, forward yeah, than where we were 50 years ago. But there's a lot of progress that still has yet to be achieved. Like, where has Title IX fallen short in recent years, uh, by your summation? Yeah, well, we just saw it, Courtney, last year when Sedona Prince um, took, uh, you know, video of the difference, the disparity in the men's weight room in the bubble. This is in 2020 or 2021 Mm -hmm. when they came back and the women's weight room in the bubble for the tournament and how different they were. Um, And to their credit, the NCAA, you know, after that video came out and went viral and people started asking questions, which is the most important thing. And not just the women asking questions, the men were asking questions. 
um, although they probably should have asked earlier. Um, but it, it caused broad sweeping change. For the first time this year, the NCAA let women use the term March Madness. For the first time this year, they got even the same kind of swag bags. I mean, all of that was different. They had licensing. They had an opportunity to have their games called the Elite Eight. Like, they got a chance to use all of those same insignia that we see with Final Four. They were different previously. And I don't – like, those kinds of things go a long way in sort of solidifying what we already know, which is that the women's product is incredible, not inferior in any way, and shouldn't be treated as such, shouldn't be treated separately. Um, We've seen more TV, right? ESPN, you know, broadcasting, ABC, broadcasting women's games, we've seen all of those things. And so, yes, I think we all applaud. We've seen rampant participation um, in amateur sports for girls, right? We see whole leagues now that are just geared towards girls. Um, So we've definitely seen some fantastic things happen, but there's still a lot to be done. And that involves, you know, making sure that these universities and colleges are implementing Title IX officers and being held accountable. It's about accountability uh, and making sure that they continue to do and walk that line because they are supposed to. It is by law they're supposed to make sure that it's an equitable situation. So I think those kinds of things, making sure that black and brown girls aren't left behind, making sure that the LGBTQI plus community isn't left behind. I mean, these are all ways that we need to, in the next 50 years of Title IX, make sure we are protecting that particular class of women as well. Yeah, a lot of progress that still has yet to be achieved in spite of the number of women competing at the highest level of college athletics. Uh, in, money, in too, Courtney, respect, money, yep. money, 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 money talks, the right? Funding, money talks, like, the funding the gap. Um, the NCAA yeah. released a report on Thursday morning titled The State of Women in College Sports and found that there is still a massive funding gap, big surprise there, uh, for women's sports and men's sports. And like Al was mentioning, this is why the importance of Title IX officers on college campuses Uh, You cannot overstate that enough, just their importance and what they are there to do to help continue to further push along gender equity, not just in sports, but in opportunities for women and men in the same playing field. She is L. Duncan, SportsCenter host, host also of First Take, Her Take, the podcast that you can get wherever you listen to your podcast. L, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Courtney. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one. Kenny and Carlin is presented by Progressive Insurance and now a no-frills ad brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Here it is. You could save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That's it. See? Just a good old-fashioned, straightforward ad. (laughs) See if you could save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or Progressive.com. Straight ahead, the best-case scenario for the Brooklyn Nets. What's the worst? We get into that next. Kenny and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. He thinks that he deserves a four-year extension fully loaded. This is not a Knicks putting it out there. This is not the Lakers putting it out there. This is off the player who thinks he's got leverage. And I'm here to tell you, he doesn't. Talk about delusional. I mean, that's this dude. That's the this Kyrie Irving. A couple months ago, at the conclusion of the first round of the NBA playoffs, Kyrie Irving spoke after the Nets got swept by the Celtics and made it sound like he was going to be part of the plans this offseason, him Josiah, Sean Marks, and Kevin Durant all putting their heads together to figure out how the Nets could move forward with Irving in the fold and potentially a max contract this offseason. But sounds like the Nets are saying, not so fast. We don't necessarily want to give a player who has proven to be unreliable a max extension. Might be going for the shorter term, bigger hits in the short term. Canteen Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Courtney Cronin, Mike Wells, presented as always by Progressive Insurance. So at the risk of not alienating Kevin Durant, the Brooklyn Nets are going to have to bend a little bit here, Mike, in order to keep their superstars, both of them, happy. We know that from what's been reported from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski that Kyrie Irving wants this max contract, he wants to stay in Brooklyn, but Brooklyn isn't so sold on wanting to give Kyrie Irving all of this financial commitment because he, in many respects, was not committed to them throughout the 2021-22 season. Like, what is the best-case scenario, knowing what we know now about what he wants, what the Brooklyn Nets want to give him potentially, what the player option is, the season for him, $36 million, um, what's the best-case scenario for the Nets in Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, the whole thing wrapped together. If I'm Brooklyn, if I'm the Brooklyn Nets, not not just the Brooklyn Nets, if I'm any team in the NBA, I am not giving Kyrie Irving a long-term contract. So if Kyrie were to opt in and play out the final year's contract, barring him playing in every single game and becoming, you know, not only one of the elite players in the league, but no longer distraction, that's the only way I would give him a long-term contract after next season, but I think Kyrie has proven being reliable, the word reliable is not in Kyrie Irving's vocabulary. What Kyrie Irving has in his vocabulary is me and I and complete selfishness. That's what Kyrie Irving is. So for the Brooklyn Nets, hey, let Kyrie opt in and see how and you know let's see how he how the season goes for him. Let him play it out. Uh because something tells me that Kyrie cannot he, he can't avoid being a distraction off the basketball court. That's just – it's it's in his DNA to be in – that's where he's grown into now. Instead of being a guy who – on the court, I think you and I can agree, Courtney, he's one of the best mm-hmm. players in the NBA. When he when he's locked in and focused, he's going. But he's too caught up in the Instagram lives and, you know, posting, you know, things on IG and stuff like that. 
as a player, I'm not sure I want Kyrie because he can't avoid that. Kyrie should never get another long-term contract in the NBA again until he proves his focus is strictly on playing basketball and helping a team potentially win the NBA title. Do not touch him. I remember when this team bowed out of the first round, a team that has Kevin Durant, who was healthy at the time, and a team that has Kyrie Irving, also healthy at the time. No, Ben Simmons wasn't out there, but he never played a single minute for the uh, Brooklyn Nets this year after he was traded. So you have a core of those two just got smacked in four games, swept by the Boston Celtics. And I thought to myself, when this whole thing was going to come to a head, inevitably ahead of free agency, that Brooklyn should because of their own leverage, never give Kyrie Irving more than a one-year deal at a time. If you want to pay him $50 million for one year, he is absolutely worth every penny because when he is on the floor, he is a dynamic game-changer. You cannot go ahead and give him a contract that has the same sort of length, four years, $198 million. That was the extension that Durant signed last offseason with the Brooklyn Nets because you don't know what Kyrie Irving you're going to get on a day-to-day basis. If you do the short-term, load it with incentives, it might be lesser in terms of like the overall fine, um, you know, in terms of like salary cap, in terms of what, you know, base salary, all of those things. Go ahead and load it with incentives to, to make him want to be there and make him want to play more than just 29 games like he did last year because he chose um, to be a part-time player, which the Brooklyn Nets at first said, we don't want a part-time player. Inevitably, they let him become a part-time player. Then the vaccine mandate gets rolled back in New York City. He's able to play in all of the games uh, at the, after that point and then for the playoffs. But it was so short-lived. I don't feel like Brooklyn would be in the best case. I mean, if you're looking at this realistically, that's what you think. But I don't know if the Brooklyn Nets can look at this realistically because of the day and age we are in of player empowerment, where Kevin Durant, if he doesn't get his way here, and granted, you know, no one's heard from KD just yet on this, but if something doesn't happen the way that Kyrie Irving wants it to happen and he ends up going somewhere else, will Kevin Durant want to go somewhere else too? Like that to me would be the worst possible scenario for the Brooklyn Nets uh, as it pertains to this situation. But Kevin Durant, as we just said, agreed to that extension last year, four years, $198 million. He still has quite a bit of time left on that deal, which is why if he did indeed want to leave, according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, he would have no leverage. Well, he you wouldn't know what, it, to decide it, anything, really. He'd have four years on his deal. So you talk to teams out there, the Nets would have the leverage in that because anywhere you trade him, he's got to play. And so whether it's a market that the Nets – there wouldn't really be a motivation or a leverage to be able to send you where you want to go. Now, if the player had one year on his deal or two years on his deal and could say to, you know, of course, say to a team that would trade for him, you can trade for me, but I'm going to leave in free agency. Don't give up too many assets for me. But when you got four years on your deal, they know you have to come play. And so teams are going to give significant assets to do a deal. And so if you're Brooklyn, you're going to do the best deal. That may not be where you want to play if you're Kevin Durant. So, Mike, do you think that, if, if it does go down this road, do you think that Brooklyn's going to, you know, not trade him or trade him at least to a place where it's like Siberia effectively for Kevin Durant? Because they hold the leverage here. He doesn't. Well, they do. The thing they have to think about, though, is, you know, if things don't work out with Kyrie 
and then KD, they need to move on for KD. You better – they need to trade him now while he's still an elite, elite, elite player and start the rebuild process because of the, East, the rest of the Eastern Conference is going to continue to get better, and Kevin Durant cannot do it by himself. I have zero faith in Ben Simmons, so KD by himself is not going to beat Giannis or Jimmy Butler or Tatum in the Eastern Conference. Get some young pieces and start the rebuild process if things aren't going to work out with Kyrie. Yeah, and, and according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, sources telling Woj if Kyrie cannot reach an agreement to stay in Brooklyn, he has a list of teams he'd like to consider on a sign-and-trade basis, including the Lakers, Clippers, Knicks, Heats, Mavs, and 76ers. So, like, basically a whole lot of teams. Um, <laughs> none of those teams very obviously have the salary cap space to sign him uh, without the Nets' help, but – Inevitably, if he does leave, he's going to have to take a pay cut. So there's the short list for Kyrie Irving, Lakers, Clippers, Knicks, Heat, Mavs, and 76ers if they cannot reach an agreement between Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. Plenty more on this coming up. Also, some NBA draft talk coming up next. Which prospect has the best shot at becoming a franchise player? We'll discuss that next here on Canty and Carlin. But first, this from Indeed. If the June tune requires you to hire soon, then Indeed would be a boon. Their powerful hiring platform makes it simple to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Just sponsor a post and get matched instantly with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed meet your job description. Then you can invite them to apply and get connected. No more jumping from site to site to software to cell phone. You can easily schedule and conduct virtual interviews all on the Indeed website. Get started at Indeed.com credit. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Okai Abaji. Okai Abaji, small forward from Kansas, expecting to hear his name called tonight in the NBA draft. Just read a mock on ESPN.com. They have him projected to Cleveland at number 14. Uh, 6'10 wingspan, pretty chiseled frame. One of the best shooters in the draft would immediately uh, provide some uh, some support there uh, on offense for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, we'll get into the draft in just a few minutes here on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Courtney Cronin. And Mike Wells kicking it with you on this Thursday. But let's tap in now with one of the hosts of the shows, Chris Canty, who does pronounce people's names correctly, uh, unlike his uh, <laughs> counterpart, Chris Carlin, there. That was on Greeny back during uh, the NCAA tournament. And I will never let Chris Carlin hear the end of that. But, um, Chris, we do appreciate you taking some time with us this afternoon. Before we get into draft talk, Woj just uh, released a list of teams from 
Kyrie Irving where he would want to go if something does not get done with the Brooklyn Nets on that list. Your Lakers, the Clippers, Knicks, Heat, Mavs, and 76ers. So no shortage of options. I'm sure a lot of those teams uh, would be interested in bringing on the circus that comes with Kyrie Irving. But make the case for me for this not happening in Brooklyn and Kyrie taking a pay cut to go to one of those teams. Well, Courtney, first of all, I don't think Kyrie's going to take a pay cut, not after he missed $17 million in salary from last year because he didn't participate in games due to the COVID vaccine mandate in New York City. So I, I just I don't see Kyrie going to a team that's a true contender just because there aren't a lot of teams out there that have a ton of cap space. And from a logistics standpoint, there are too many hurdles to clear in order to make that happen. I still contend that this is a bluff by Kyrie and his camp to try to pressure the Brooklyn Nets into the organization doing something that they're uncomfortable with, which is giving Kyrie a four- or five-year max extension with no contingencies, no protections for the club. And I just don't think Sean Marks and Joe Sy are going to are going to come off of their position right now, which is we're willing to do business with Kyrie, but it's going to be on our terms. So, Chris, what you're telling me is you don't have uh, that song Reunited queued up for Kyrie and LeBron to get back together out there in L.A. once again? Man, I would love for it to happen as a Lakers fan, but no, nah, I don't see that <laughs> happening, man. I, I just don't. And, uh, you know, to further the point, I, I think Kyrie's biggest leverage in this situation is his relationship with Kevin Durant. His his team is trying to create leverage by floating out a lot of teams, but, but ultimately it's about what the Brooklyn Nets want to do and how much they want to hold on to Kevin Durant. That'll let you know how much they're willing to entertain Kyrie Irving and what kind of contract, you know, they're they're willing to, you know, come to an agreement on. But this is getting interesting by the moment, guys, because Shams from The Athletic just posted something about a half an hour ago saying KD was monitoring the situation with Kyrie Irving and weighing the options for his future. So, I, I mean, this is – it just seems like as we get closer to that June 29th deadline where Kyrie has to make a decision – on his player option, um, there's going to be a whole lot of fireworks. Six days away from Kyrie Irving deciding whether he's going to opt in or opt out. He has a $36 million player option. He has to decide on this offseason. It would be the worst-case scenario for the Brooklyn Nets if Irving walks and Durant indeed demands a trade. He is Chris I will Canty. say this, Courtney. I will say this. It'll be an awfully quick rebuild for Brooklyn if that ends up being the case because there will be no shortage of teams willing to line up to throw assets at the Brooklyn Nets. That's players and that's picks. So I'll say this, it's not ideal if you're Sean Marks, but they do have somewhat of a golden parachute, which leads me to believe that they're going to play hardball with both Kyrie and Kevin Durant as this thing continues to play out. Okay, okay, let's stick on that then. Chris Canny, host of Canny and Carlin, joining Courtney Cronin and Mike Wells here on ESPN Radio. So Durant in the leverage play doesn't seem like he has a whole ton. Four-year, $198 million extension he signed last offseason, so there's still a considerable amount of time left on this contract. So if he does demand a trade, they don't have to trade him where he necessarily wants to go. Let's say the whole thing blows up in their face, and they just spent all of this time equity and energy and money too to to be a championship contender and they were never able to get past the Eastern Conference Finals and that was not last year but the year before that like how do they go about this in trying to be a contender in the East when they tried for years to get to the point where it just didn't work out it 
potentially with all of their personnel issues that they have and egos and all the off the court stuff, how do they do it differently this time around? Because you had mentioned those assets that teams would be offering up to try to help the Brooklyn Nets. And would that potentially put them back in contention right away? Well, well, Courtney, I don't know if they'll be in contention right away, but I trust Sean Marks and the infrastructure in the organization that they'll get it turned around in short order. Let's remember where this franchise was at at the beginning of the 2010s. I mean, this, this, this franchise was in really bad shape. They had no assets because of the KG Paul Pierce trade. Um, they really didn't have a whole lot of players that you would think that they, they would, you know, amount to much. But then all of a sudden, piece by piece, Sean Marks was able to put things together. They got D'Angelo Russell on the chief, and they ended up developing him into an all-star. Uh, Karis LeVert became a really nice player in this league. Jared Allen became an all-star. So this is a franchise that has shown they know how to pick players and they know how to develop players. So if it comes down to it, I mean, ideally they would like to compete now with KD and Kyrie and Ben Simmons. Uh, but but if they have to move off of Kai and KD, I, I have no doubt that, you know, in two or three years, Sean Marks will be able to get this thing turned around. There he is, Chris Canty, host of Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, joining Courtney Cronin and Mike Wells. Chris, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Thanks for allowing me to jump on my own show. Enjoy the draft tonight. I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> we will talk to you again very, very soon in the aforementioned NBA draft Coverage coming your way tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time on most ESPN radio stations and the ESPN app. Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bencaro expected to go 1, 2, and 3 off the board, according to ESPN's Woj. Will that happen, and what other things should we be looking at towards the NBA draft? We get into that next. Candy and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Hey, Cronin, Mike Wells sitting in for Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the NBA draft just a couple hours away. And, Mike, we talk so much about the prospects and the intrigue and the ceiling and what have you when it comes to all drafts. And there's always the boomer bust aspect of it. And so I'm wondering, I mean, you've covered the NFL, you've covered the NBA, and you've covered a lot of different drafts in other sports. Has there ever been a prospect that you looked at and you're like, I was really high on this guy and he completely met my expectations or was really low on this guy and he exceeded my expectations when it came to sizing guys up in the draft? Man, I'm going back to 2017. And I'm not just going to give you one player. I'm going to give you the first two players in the draft on guys that did not live up to expectations for different reasons. Do you remember who the first, the number one overall pick was in the 2017 draft, Courtney? That was uh, Carson Wentz. Wait, are we talking no, no, NFL talk- or are we talking oh, NBA? No, NBA? Okay, I NBA. didn't know where we were going here with this. Um, NBA 2017 wasn't um, wasn't the Ivan Rabier. Um, no, see, I don't. exactly. So they, see, that's the thing. You had to think about it. Yeah. Markel Fultz. Fultz, yeah, that's right, with the 76ers. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has played a total in five NBA seasons, uh, only 131 games. Obviously, you know, he dealt with a number of issues, but, I mean, you, you take him number one overall, you think you're having another core piece to go with Joel Embiid and company, and he just has not panned out. I mean, he's in Orlando now, and in three seasons in Orlando, he's only played – he played 72 games in 2019 – and he's played a total of 26 games over the past two seasons. People forget – if they can't remember you were the number one overall pick, you, you're doing something wrong. And 
Markel Fultz is that guy on that list. And I'm going number two, Lonzo Ball. Yeah. He's already on his third NBA team since 20, taking us to number one, number two overall pick in 2017. Lakers, Pelicans, and now the Bulls. Bulls. Yeah, we don't know if he's he, going to come back and like, what sort of shape next year. I mean, that knee injury was really serious. It kept him out of the rest of the regular season and the in the playoffs too. Um, it's fun. It's interesting because those are those are two good ones that yeah you forget about them. They get lost in the shuffle because injuries and other things cost them a lot of time, especially in the early part of their career. And I mean, we hope that Zion, somebody who was not, who was taken number one overall, not too long ago, you know, doesn't fall into that mix going forward uh, because there's a lot of wasted potential. We talk about these guys and their ceilings and what all they can reach. And honestly, so very few end up fully achieving all the expectations and all the goals that are laid forth from, for them by us and, and by others as well. Five-star quarterback and the number one player in the class of 2023, Arch Manning, has committed to Texas over Alabama and a host of other schools. This is Canty and Carlin on the ESPN app and ESPN radio. Courtney Cronin, Mike Wells, presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Let's tap in now with Tom Luganville, ESPN college football and recruiting analyst. Tom, I want to just ask you about like covering Arch Manning's recruitment. He was already a celebrity in his own right because of his last name. How different was it in covering Arch Manning versus other great high school athletes and prospects who are also really good at football but might not have the same famous last name? Yeah, you know, I I tell you, that puts a lot of pressure and just elevates the expectation level for the young man. Fair, unfair, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's that's the world he's living in because of the last name. and, you know, just looking at it from an outsider's perspective and, and watching how he and the family and the support structure and the high school program, whether it be coaches or administrators, how they handled all of this thing. And, you know, this was never about constantly chasing the recruiting limelight, constantly chasing the microphone, being here, being there. It, it wasn't about that for him. In fact, he conducted very few interviews, allowed very few people kind of into the inner circle. And I think that was smart. There, there's enough distraction. There are, there are enough things going on. It's already a difficult process when you're that high profile and you're trying to narrow things down. So I think they did a great job of attending camps, getting on campus, making sure they were gathering all of the, the correct information. And, and this is, I think, the most important part, maybe the part that gets glossed over. And that is doing so so that he can go back to just being a kid, just being a high school football player, getting it out of the way before his senior season so everything's not a constant distraction, and he can just go back to being a 17-year-old kid. And I think sometimes with all of the hype and the spotlight that surrounds a lot of these high-profile kids, we tend to forget that they're kids. Mm-hmm. Hey, t- Tom, um, for those who don't know much about Arch Manning outside of being from the main and you know family tree and everything sure what makes him such a five-star quarterback what is it about him that has made him you know so have so many colleges wanting him on their campus well i i think there's probably quite a few factors uh the upbringing the pedigree being around the people that he has been around watching the right way Uh, in terms of how to play the position, how to prepare to play the position at a high level. And I think that, you know, you could, you could make the argument that both Peyton and Eli 
for all of their gifts, most of their gifts were surrounded were, or embodied in arm talent and winning with their mind, having a superior intellect. But nobody's ever going to argue that Peyton and Eli were great athletes that were dynamic players with their feet and legs. And I think that's why people got excited about Arch because Arch has the athleticism that his granddaddy had, and that makes him unique. It makes him different. In today's game where you've got a lot of quarterback run and you need the quarterback to be able to extend plays and, and, and keep plays alive with his feet and athleticism, he can do that in a manner in which, you know, Eli and Peyton, they weren't blessed with, with that part of the game. And so the hope is that you have the stuff from the neck up, like Peyton and Eli had, and then you add the athleticism component to it. And obviously those are very, very attractive factors. And I think the thing, too, that coaches loved about him is the maturity. You know, we're in this era right now of name, image, and likeness and all of these sorts of things. And, you know, recruiting has changed to the point where that's all that parents and handlers and runners are asking about. And instead, Arch Manning and his family are asking about the program, the scheme, uh, install, how does practice run, what's the academic and the social atmosphere. He's focused on the things that matter. And I think that really resonated with coaches nationally. Tom Luganville, ESPN College Football and Recruiting Analyst, joins Courtney Cronin and Mike Wells on Canty and Carlin. To that point, Tom, though, doesn't isn't there sort of a level of privilege, though? I mean, the kid already has one of the most famous last names in football. He doesn't have to worry ever about making money beyond, um, you know, he can focus on the small things right now where there are a lot of people. I mean, I covered recruiting in Mississippi, so I feel like I ran and, and, and dealt with a lot of this where – Sure. You've got the people around the quarterback, around the prospect, whichever position it is, where they're thinking about 10 steps ahead. I mean, the luxury that he has right now to, to solely just focus on playing football feels like it's something that so few prospects can actually do at this level. Well, there's no question. I mean, he's had significant advantage advantages throughout the journey. And, you know, having the right people around him for the right reasons – um, it, it, it makes a difference. It just does. And unfortunately, you know, there's roughly 2,800 kids that will sign an FBS letter of intent in, in each and every given class. And many of those kids don't have that support structure, don't have the right people around them um, to help guide them and navigate the space. Cause it's a lot. I mean, it is. And when your last name's Manning, um, it, it could probably be overwhelming. And so, you know, I, I get asked the question all the time, you know, is, is he overhyped? Is he for real? My answer is, of course he's overhyped. They're all overhyped, right? Jadavion Clowney was overhyped. Leonard Fournette was overhyped. That's this machine that we're, that we're dealing with right now. It doesn't mean that he's not going to be a good player. It doesn't mean that he's not going to be a great player. But there are a lot of other good quarterbacks. The, the, the kid that Alabama took, Eli Holstein. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't get Arch, if they didn't get Arch Manning, they feel pretty darn good about the guy they got. So the class isn't all about Arch Manning, but the last name kind of lends you to to focus all of the attention on 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 that one kid. And you know, I I hope from a, just from a mental health standpoint that that you know he can kind of just take things in stride and be his own guy and and and, and be his own manning because that's what it's going to take if he's worried about living up to all of the the expectations that everybody else has um that's going to be darn near impossible 
Tom, up against a hard out here, 30 seconds. Was Texas always the favorite for Arch Manning? I think they were always in the lead because of the initiated recruitment on behalf of Steve Sarkeesian when he was an assistant coach at Alabama. That was a formative and and developed relationship that I think carried an awful lot of weight throughout the entire process. So uh, that's where I would probably trace that back to. Great stuff. Tom Luganbill, ESPN College Football and Recruiting Analyst. Wondering also, is that bird chirping in the background a five-star recruit just like Arch Manning? (laughs) Don't know the answer to that. Maybe we will find out soon. Tom, thanks so much for the time. (laughs) Thank you. All right, coming up next, some guys that were recruits not that long ago could hear their name called tonight in the NBA draft. How could tonight's draft impact who will be playing in the NBA Finals next June? We discuss next, Kenny and Garland.